everybody and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon and as ever I wish you a very good morning, afternoon or evening whenever and wherever you join today's podcast from. I'm once again set up in my uh, my new home, my new podcast studio, giving me all the delights that a, a podcaster now needs in this modern world and I'm joined by a, a man who has very recently um, joined a company that knows all about live broadcasting. Uh, my guest today on the podcast is Mike Rowe. Mike has recently joined the JL Live uh, community as non-executive chairman and joins us today from their base in Wallingford in Oxfordshire. Mike, very good afternoon to you. And to you, James. Um, lovely to have you aboard here. Um, the press release has gone out today. Uh, I presume, you know, LinkedIn and all the emails have, uh, have gone berserk, have they, in the last few hours? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think when you move into an industry like the events industry, Everybody has an opinion on it. It's one of those in everybody's experienced events in some way, shape or form. So what I found is that I've had people from, you know, my my past life in every way, shape and form commenting and having a view on uh, on my move into the events industry. And uh, I mean, I've got to say, universally positive. And uh, I think everyone just looking forward to what happens next, given the last 12 months. Absolutely. Let's put that move into perspective, if we can, first of all, Mike, and, and just briefly on your background, you, you've you come uh, to the JL Live Group as non-executive chairman, but previously as CFO at Just Eat. Tell us a little bit briefly about some of the experiences there and, and what your involvement was and what that led to. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully, given the amount of money we spent on marketing over the years, um, most people who are listening will have heard of Just Eat, uh, the online to- takeaway business. I joined it back in 2008. There was, uh, well, there was eight of us in the UK. We were a tiny startup at that point, and there, there was uh, an operation also in Denmark. Um, and I joined as finance director, but uh, I, we, although technically my title was at CFO, I like to think of myself at that time as the OFO, as the only financial officer. I'm not sure who else I would have been chief of. And we grew it. We were very fortunate that we had a business <laughs> that was growing three, four, five hundred percent a year. Um, you know, we grew 50% in a month sometimes in those early days. Uh, it was an exciting place to be. As a result of that, I got to work with some extraordinary people uh, and had a career. So we took the business from a couple of million of revenue uh, when I joined to when I left, it was approaching half a billion pounds worth of revenue. Uh, we floated on the FTSE, well, we joined the FTSE 250 initially uh, back in 2014, which obviously I led. Uh, and then we grew further from there. We were the fastest growing um, company on the FTSE 250 for a while. Uh, and I stepped down at the end of 2016 um, because what I realized is I love the growth phase of working in a business like Just Eat. But actually, once you become, as we shortly did after I left, a FTSE 100 business, being a director, a chief finance officer in that sort of environment, you spend a lot more time doing politics, corporate governance, talking to investors and mm. a lot less time building a business. So I stepped back at that point, uh, had a year off. I was fortunate enough to travel and then um, started to look at what next. Um, and that has led me into working with a number of small growth businesses. I say small, small and medium sized growth businesses, initially as a mentor and advisor, as I worked out what I wanted to do, uh, but increasingly um, spending more formalized time with those businesses. Um and hence why I ended up here with with Jack at JL Lighting. Sure. And, and, and the, the time spent at, um, at Just Eat, you mentioned that you started there in 2008. Um, and 
I can remember sort of casting my mind back probably to 2010, 2011 and first becoming aware of Just Eat um, and no doubt as, as mobile technology, mobile applications were becoming more prevalent on, on people's personal devices, there were a number of platforms that sprung up around about that time. Um, Just Eat strikes me certainly as something that was at the forefront of the revolution where there were a number of other competitors, but, you know, the wheat yeah. is cut from the chaff and, and, and ultimately they were the ones that, 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 that led the way and became the market leaders. Yeah. Is um, that clearly something that you're wanting to do as well with, with, with JR yeah, Live? Do you feel that you're at the sort of the forefront of a potential revolution? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I mean, I think what I like about Jack and the team of JR Live is they remind me a lot of the Just Eat team. We were fiercely competitive. Um, you know, as you say, there were other players in the industry. Hungry House was one of our big competitors in the early days, uh, you know, but we outcompeted those guys and we did it in a way that we had fun and we delivered something really exciting to our consumers. And I like that in Jack. I was fortunate to work with Jack in the Just Eat days when he ran my world party events. So um, we, took the, we took the decision we were going to try once a year to bring all of our teams around together. Now, that's easy when it's the UK and Denmark. By the end of it, we had we had 15 countries, including Australia, Brazil, Canada, and most of Europe. Uh, becomes a slightly bigger logistical challenge when you do that. Um, and Jack was at the forefront of helping us run that event and making sure that we got our message across, but that everybody had a great time doing it. So when uh, I stepped back and we spent more time, Jack, we'd had various conversations. And then, of course, COVID happened. And Jack approached me for some advice and I thought oh he's going to ask me how to cut costs and how to scale it all back and and Jack's actually approach was far more of I can do the cutbacks I can manage the business over the next 12 months but this is going to create opportunity the world is changing I I would like Mike to tap your growth brain what you've been through with Just E mm -hmm. to help Just e, um to help JL Lighting um think about what happens next. And I think he was spot on, you know, 12 months ago, Jack was talking about, it's going to be different in, well, I think at that point we thought nine months time, but you know, as we now know, 12 to 18 months time, it's going to be a different world. People are going to need different type of events. And I think JL is uniquely placed because of its events background and the fact it's, been, it's diversified into television three to five years ago. Yeah uniquely placed to combine those two at a time when people I'm not sure they're willingly moved to you know to digital and online because I think people miss that human contact piece but I think it's an important part of events going forward is we won't necessarily have everyone in one place like we used to we're going to have to find a way of making it work for everyone and I what I really like that ambition from Jack that he was thinking what next not no, I need to be careful with my cash for the next 12 months. What next? How do I position myself for that next? Well, well, well of course, you know, and that's once again, a, 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 you know, whilst it may not seem an obvious parallel to begin with, when you talk about the two names, Just Eat, and then a, a, a you know, major events, you know, pr production business, the, the idea of foreseeing where people will be in terms of usability in five years time, going back to the timeline, of course, of your own involvement in the previous company, 2008, you had to have that foresight to see that in the next five to seven years, people were really going to use their devices. And in the same way we sit here now, and one thing that struck, really stood out to me in the press release that was sent out is a quote from yourself that said, in the last 12 months, digital acceptance has leapt 10 years. And I'm curious to ask you what you meant by the term digital acceptance. 
Well, I, I guess one measure of it is what is my mum doing? My mum, bless her, is uh, in, her, in her early 80s. Uh, hopefully she doesn't listen because she'll hate me for revealing that massive secret. Um, but, you know, my mum moved 12, you know, nine months ago to ordering her groceries online. She'd never, never done that. My mum now has moved all of her bank accounts online. Yeah. And, you know, so if my mum in her 80s is suddenly accepting the fact that the world has moved digitally and she, she sends moon pig cards, which still astounds me. Um, so if she's doing that, the whole world has just changed. And you can see, you know, my old world of takeaway, you know, the, the numbers are up like 100 percent plus than the volume of people who are ordering food online food for delivery you look at the hello freshies and the gustos and the fact we're we're ordering uncooked food online to deliver to our house yeah, yeah. the fact is we're now far more accepting that there is a, a bigger part of our lives that will be online alongside that though there's been a forced part or around Zoom, you know, who thought we could run businesses 100% on Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever the right platform is um, 12 months ago? You know, we'd have suggested that people were going to spend four or five hours a day doing this. People would have thought we were mad. Yeah. But people have done it. I think it's gone too far in terms of that piece. But I think people have accepted you can do it. And now what we've got to move to is how do I do it in a way that I like doing it? Absolutely. And I think as a result, it's production values are going to get involved. But I'm not just at events, but as you've said yourself in the introduction, having the equipment around you to do this properly mm-hmm. makes a vast difference to the quality of the output and the result that you get. Yeah, and, and, and I've said this many times on the podcast over the last, um, I don't know, you know, two or three months, um, it, it is that when your hand is forced and you are given no option but to go down a certain path and that often leads to the best results you know um we had within the events industry certainly seen improvement in hardware we'd seen improvement in connectivity and improvement in internet speeds and the capability of venues to be able to support that with live events so that you could stream so that you could do semi-hybrid events um and ultimately though it took our hand being forced to really awaken everybody to the possibilities and what it could do. And everybody, all the naysayers who had said, oh, I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure, really had no choice but to at least give it a go. And they're the people who really, I feel, we've made the biggest leaps with, are the the people who weren't quite so sure, who had no choice and are now convinced. Yeah, and I think you're right, 100%. So we've moved to that online and digital space now. But um, I hate to say this, and the industry will probably all moan, uh, as I say this, but I think the hardest part is to come because we've got, we went from offline and we, we moved to predominantly digital. We're now going to move to this properly hybrid where half of the people we're trying to involve and entertain or engage are present and the other half aren't. And I think that is going to be the toughest challenge that we have as an industry going forward is how do you marry those two worlds? How do you make sure that the people watching it on a laptop are getting an experience that makes sense for them um, and they're willing to sit there for long enough to follow the whole process? So I think there's just going to be some fundamental big shifts that are going to require some some televisual production techniques around capturing your attention, leaving the cliffhanger. You know, if you're doing um, a plenary session and you're bringing people in and you're engaging them, 
you want to leave them at the end, perhaps with the television, the EastEnders cliffhanger to say, you know, and I'll tell you more about that at the lunchtime session. So you you leave hooks for people to come back. The fact that you know that this is going to be committed to, um, I was going to say to tape, I'm a bit old fashioned. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's going to be recorded and, um, and, and circulated means you probably want to rehearse more than you used to do. Absolutely. Well, because we roll VT, don't we? Yeah. We don't. We haven't used videotape in a long time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when somebody says that, you're going to want to rehearse more. You're going to want to make sure that you have really strong uh, bite-sized elements to your events so that the people watching remotely can really enjoy and engage in those and then go off and do something else so they're not on a screen for eight hours. Yeah. Whilst your people in the room are still entertained for those eight hours as they would be normally. So I think I think that challenge is going to be really interesting as over certainly over the next 18 months as people make that work. This this is where the sort of the understanding of the audience and, and the understanding of human expectation comes back into it because when you are in a physical venue, let's just take a you know common or garden hotel conference suite. Um, where there's an audience of 100 people in suits and ties and business attire waiting for the person to step up on stage and begin their session. There's an informality about it. You can probably see the presenter stood just off a of stage right, sipping some water, chatting to one of the production team, and then suddenly they'll walk on stage and say, good morning, everybody, and then everybody's sort of attention will be focused. Now, of course, as soon as you put the, exactly that same scenario, but you have the audience watching it via a screen, their expectations change completely. They don't want to see that person off camera shuffling their notes and taking a sip of their water. They want a nice clean graphic and suddenly a cut to the person saying good morning and welcome. They want it like the BBC News channel, you know, yeah. nice and well produced. And this is where there's an obvious uh, tie, isn't there, to high quality TV production because that's what everybody is doing now, essentially. Yeah, that's right. And making it into those sort of much much more produced and compact bite-sized elements so that you get your message across quickly. And so people see what, see, they get the same excitement without being there, mm. but in much smaller chunks because you can't, a lot of the build excitement, as you've said, you're sat in a conference room and you're gossiping with the person next to you who you may have not seen since the same event the previous year, but yeah, you're losing that element of interaction before and after as well. So I think we've got to look at how we make that work for everyone. How do you do you pipe through the noise of what's in the room to those people in the build-up? You know, um, it, just because that's part of the visceral feel of what you want from a big event production. You want that sort of build-up. A bit like, you know, when you're sat in a theatre and, as you get closer and closer to 7 p.m., you get that sort of build-up of noise that suddenly goes silent. Is that part of what we get from events? And I think that's going to well, be an interesting... Yeah. It's the question that the sports broadcasters all asked, didn't they, when they started broadcasting in empty stadiums? You know, do we put the crowd noise yeah. on there? Do we broadcast it completely realistically or do we simulate the crowd noise? And, you know, yeah. it, 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 I'm sure I'm sure it will be no different. Something I'd really like to ask you, Mike, if that's OK. Again, just pulling yeah. some, some information from, from today's press release. Um, Group director of JR Live, Jack Lineker, um, it's a quote from him that said, uh, Mike's strategic vision will help us steer the business as we grow and enter new territories. And new territories for me, particularly as we sit here today talking about 
you know, the advent of, of digital um, I I events in combination with live events. New territories 20 years ago would have meant physically new geographic territories. To me, the term territory now can mean so many different things because you can choose different demographics of audience based on your digital profile. A new territory could be the digital territory. It could be the physical territory. Territories now mean so much more when we're talking about how we're delivering events and tapping into audiences. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely spot on. You know, when we talked about that territory, we were talking about the fact that, you know, online is a territory in its own space, that digital-based space. Of, but, I, but I think also for us, there was a realisation that we can run the digital piece from headquarters in Oxfordshire, mm -hmm. as it stands at the moment, and we can do a lot of that pulling together here. But there's still going to be, as we have hybrid events going forward, there's going to be still a requirement for some localization. And so how do we combine the fact that we might have the skill set centrally to do the digital production piece, but we still want to run the events piece? So, you know, JL launched in Ireland a couple of years ago. We've got a presence there in Ireland. Uh, and the intention is obviously to build out there. And I think the other thing that's changed in the last 12 months that sort of got a bit swept under the carpet, of course, is Brexit. Yeah. The fact is the world of your ability to transport events around Europe has just got a lot more complicated, particularly if it's going in and out of the UK. So I think, you know, one of the territorial expansions we'll look at is, do we have something on mainland Europe mm -hmm. that enables us to combine, you know, like we say, what we do here with the digital piece with a local event production? Sure. And I, yeah. I do think one of the pieces is if we can't get a lot of people together, you know, um, us going to them rather than them coming to us might be the way and you have a rolling um events production so that people take part in one big piece that's digitalized but then the event day you know maybe it's a team building event or something sure. you roll that out and you run it in france you run it in ireland you run it in germany um so i think you know that's where we envisage is how do we how do we optimize our use of the skills we've got digitally but while still maintaining that local presence, because what makes events special, I think, is still that live element. You've got to have that live element Absolutely. Uh, at some point. Absolutely. Have you uh, drawn up a, a priorities list? So having come on board um, in, in your new role, is, is there a, you know, a top three things that, boom, in the next 12 months, this is where I'd like to, like to, to sort of take us, and this is the direction I'm advising? Yeah, I, yes, I think there's investment. I mean, I think, number one, as we've come out of a difficult year, I think uh, what we're spending a lot of time in looking at is where are the gaps in the market? Where can we invest in capital, in lights, in equipment um, and the like to enable us to fill those gaps? So there's an investment piece that we've been working hard on. Uh, the other piece is, um, you know, we've, we've launched JL Live as a separate entity to the TV and lighting business recently. And I've been working carefully with Phil and Jack the, um, on that about how do we, how do we get live events to properly include the TV, um, the TV and production elements? How do we convince people that it's not necessarily stupidly expensive to do that? I think a lot of people want, want to do it, but think it's silly expensive. It doesn't have to be. Equipment, um, technology, the whole piece has all moved on in the last three to five years. So then actually you can re run a production level event 
much more cost effectively with digital and TV than you would have thought possible five years ago. So a lot of it is around messaging and how do we get that message out to people that this isn't a Rolls Royce. You know, what was Rolls Royce production five years ago, you can now buy for, let's you know, let's be modern, Tesla money, uh, Tesla three money. Um, so I think that's been a lot of what we've been focusing on is messaging and how do we, we get that message out there and make sure we've got the kit to deliver the hybrid events that need to happen. And of course, having having the the ability within one group to have the TV production experience and that live event production experience, and and being able to potentially combine the two from a creative production point of view, that to me potentially offers something that that, that could be really interesting when when people are coming back and they want to. Again, I sense that a lot of events getting to a very sort of um, habitual way of delivering them. Yeah. Um, and and the break over the last 12 months has allowed people to maybe rethink and reinvigorate the their events when they do come back with new ideas and the idea of doing a live event like an awards dinner or something but doing it as if the audience are a tv audience and it's a tv studio with cameras there just that physical setting anybody who's walked into a, a tv studio or onto a film set it's a totally different experience when you see the cameras and the lighting jigs and things like that. So I, I think there's a real potential creative opportunity there, isn't there, for both companies? Yeah, I think I think that's very much the case. And I think it helps that Jack is probably unusual being involved in the TV space in that he came from an events background. If you look at a lot of the people who've grown up in the TV space, they've come up through the BBC or ITV or that sort of channel into the lighting world. So the, Jack went from the event space to work in the TV space and therefore his experience with, you know, as, a, as an individual helps us to think about how do we combine those into the events we do. And I think you're right. I think on-site event production is going to have to be dramatically different mm -hmm. if you have got a 50% of your audience remote. It's got to be. It's got to be structured differently. It's got to be, as we talked about, the, the noise, the um, the atmosphere, how do you create something that looks good online, but also is exciting for the people. And I think, you know, you, sure. you know we're partnered with BBC Studios at uh, JL Live, and part of that is um, us being able to use the actual studios, the, the BBC Studio capacity, for live events for our clients. And the excitement that people get when they go into a TV studio is palpable to the point where you think, oh, maybe we could mock this up yeah. and make it feel like a TV studio rather than, as you can I'm, imagine, TV studio spaces. It's challenging to find. Yeah, at a premium, at, that's right. At, at an absolute premium. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and something that's been flagged on a couple of occasions on this podcast with sports is exactly the same for television. And that is the fact that when you look at television, let's take, you know, a pretty standard, something like, you know, a, a TV, Graham Norton show on radio, on BBC One. That's a, a, mostly a show that has a live audience, yeah. but is it's being streamed to telly. Yeah. But it's a hybrid event. When you look at yeah. what a hybrid event is, we think that we've been clever in the industry and coined this term hybrid event over the last two years. Yeah. Sports have been doing it for years. You have 50,000 people in the stadium and you have another yeah. 3 million watching at home. T television has been doing it for years you have 250 people sat in the studio audience and another three and a half million watching at home they yeah. are hybrid events and have been for you know many many years 
But but it takes a lot of rehearsal to get that good. I mean, less so for the football. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. you know, the the football football piece. I guess is more about you have a different view when you're on you're watching online than you do when you're on site. But if you look at the production values that go around those great shows like Graham Norton, like you know Saturday Night Takeaway with Anton Deck, you know the production values that they have put and the rehearsal values just reinforces it to make it work for two audiences. You have to be super smart, you have to rehearse it properly, and you have to have the right technology uh, and attitude there to account for both. That is an event that is planned for both audiences. Um, and you can tell that because when you're watching it on online or on TV, you can see the enjoyment from the audience. You can. You have to have a team that instinctively knows what they're doing as well. There, there is. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts would be on this, but... There is obviously training that you can give to people. You, you know, you can develop them, but they have to have that sort of instinctive, natural flair for doing it that that, that speeds things up, that allows them to get what a, a script writer uh, is is putting into their script, that allows them to follow the direction or whatever the producer is wanting to obtain from a, a particular sequence. There has to be that instinctive nature as well as the training. Yeah, 100%. And I think what you have to do is the have to have is an ability to give confidence to your participants. Because you've got to remember, you know, if I think of when I was CFO at Just Eat and was presenting to the whole company, I would be absolutely terrified now knowing that not only am I trying to energize 500 people that I can see and that are sat in front of me, but I'm trying to energize 500 people I can't see necessarily. You know, and again, you know, maybe there's a way that you have screens in the audience so you capture some of that. But... So I think part of it is being able to give the confidence to the participants and ultimately the people who are paying the bills. Sure, yeah. That yeah. you will deliver them an event that makes them look good in both formats. Indeed. And I, I think that's really important because then I think people buy into it and give their all. Absolutely. Um I mean, I suppose one final thing to to, to ask before we wrap up today's um, today's podcast is 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 your sort of day to day involvement. You know, is this going to be? Are you are you planning to take a, a very sort of hands on approach? Or are you going to sort of sit back and, and uh, work in a consultative basis? How how do you and the team envisage it working going forward? I am very much going to leave the day to day running to the uh, to the guys who know what they're doing in the events industry. Um, you know, I'm here to help them think about the longer term challenges to make sure we have the proper governance structures in place to do the right thing for our clients at the right time and that we think months and years ahead rather than weeks ahead i think the industry's probably got a tough 2022 coming not in terms of demand i think there'll be more demand than there is capacity to develop to deliver and as a result, I think the you know thinking about what new challenges will kick in that will be completely different in 2022 is where I hope I'll be able to help the guys. And then how do we as a business help get this message across? I've been I've been the executive stood on the stage trying to do a lot of what we're trying to do for for businesses, and I hope therefore I can help these guys think both sides of the camera, as it were. 
Absolutely. Our, our guest today on the podcast is Mike Rowe. Mike, as of today, which is Thursday the 8th of April that we're recording this particular podcast, we are going to get it published and get it out there to everybody fairly rapidly, um, given the nature of what we've been discussing today. But today's announcement, the 8th of April, is that Mike Rowe has joined the JL Live group, comprising JL Lighting and JL Live as non-executive chairman. Mike, um, it's been fabulous to talk to you today. Presumably, if anybody wants to find out a bit more, it's just a case of searching for JL Live, JL Lighting, etc and on all the usual platforms and the stuff will pop up yeah very much so and you'll see what the guys are up to there fantastic yeah and, and and just from somebody who has actually looked at their uh their social media feeds on on, on many occasions in the past loads of good stuff if, if you haven't come across them before if you've maybe heard the name fleetingly um take five minutes go and search the guys at jl live and uh, and find out what they're up to and i'm sure you'll be impressed by it and uh you can see what they've uh, they've got planned for the future mike Rowe from jl live thank you very much for joining the podcast today thank you james um, if you are listening to today's podcast on your favourite podcast platform, don't forget to head over to eventindustrynews.com and you can check out the latest news, features, supplements and uh, and special articles that are going up there, as well as all of the uh, other versions of the podcast in video format. Of course, if you are watching this, hello to you on the Event Industry News website. Um, you can also listen to audio versions of all of our podcasts up to just over 230 now via your favourite podcast platform on whatever your chosen device may be. That brings us nicely to the end of today's episode. Our thanks again to Micro who's joined us from the JL head offices up in uh, or down in Wallingford, Oxfordshire. Of course, I'm up in Yorkshire as always. It's been a pleasure to have you as a guest today. Thanks for joining the Event Industry News podcast. We'll see everybody on the next episode. Goodbye. Thank you.